This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Today is our June edition of Incentives and Instincts, a recurring series in which I speak with economist and friend Bryce Ward about some of the broader challenges facing our society. Bryce, how are you today? Summer is upon us, which is good and bad. True, but one of the upsides is it's easier to park here on campus. Is that right? That is true. Absolutely. There was a very easy to park today. And so speaking of parking, we got a listener inquiry, a listener suggestion a couple of weeks ago that we should dig into parking. And it turns out parking's a pretty darn good topic and kind of right in line of what this series is all about. Most of us need it, and we think that we should always have it, that it should be available, convenient, and free. But probably very few of us have considered the many ways in which parking policies, or lack thereof, have shaped our cities and towns. And beyond that, parking is just one of those things that seems to bring out the worst in all of us, kind of like airports. So yeah, Bryce, why is parking interesting to you? We've tried really hard to make parking abundant, mm-hmm. right? We want it to be free. We don't have to pay for it. We want it to be available whenever I want it. And we have created a system that has tried to deliver on that for many decades. Let's let's press on the we, for example. When you say we think just general citizens have this expectation that if we have a car, it kind of comes with this implicit availability of parking wherever we want to put that car. Yeah, for whatever reason, we've allowed that to become the expected outcome. Yeah. Right? And suffering is the difference between expectation and reality, and so Mm -hmm. is joy. Yeah. And when I expect to be able to park basically where I want, whenever I want, uh, and then I can't, that's where it brings out the worst in us, right? You know, I mean, people literally get killed over parking spots. Like, I hate parking. Everybody hates parking. Everybody hates looking for parking. People have studied this, right? So, the, oh, yeah. you know, this guy, Shoop, Shoop yeah. right? You know, like, you know, so- An he, economist. He got some students and they basically kind of fanned out in the 15 blocks in the commercial area around UCLA like 20 years ago or something to clock how long they could track cars looking for parking. Okay. Right? And so on average, they found that in that district during the day, it took three minutes of kind of circling around to find okay. parking. Now, of course, that- doesn't seem like very much, sure. but when you're enduring those three minutes, it feels very stressful, right? There's real anxiety. There's real discomfort mm-hmm. with that. Here in Missoula, that is a pretty rare experience. You know, it's basically if you need to park on campus during the school year, or if you're going to try and park uh, downtown on Friday night, every other place, and you can probably find parking. Take a community like Missoula, and some of the other urban centers in in Montana are facing the sort of painful realization that whether it's the average of three minutes or some other number, that those are minutes that we have not typically found that we had to factor into our schedule and our planning. I I see this with students all the time. Oh, I didn't really plan for parking. And then the outrage gets, you know, directed at Whatever entity seems to you know either either have real or, or 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 imagined control over the situation. And if I knew it was going to be three minutes, then it would be fine. Sure. I, I would expect three minutes, yeah. right? The problem with parking is that it's unknown, yeah. right? And that kind of variability is part of what drives the anxiety of it, right? And then you know that's the internal thing that's going on inside of the person parking, sure. 
right? But the reality is, is that those three minutes are imposing costs on all the rest of us. They're adding congestion to the road. They're adding pollution to the air. So there's all sorts of fraught things that go along with how we try and park and, you know, how abundant it is and what it costs to park and, you know, both in terms of actual paying to park, but also in just in terms of the time and the energy and the frustration that it brings out in the world. So, you know, all of those things are part of the cost of the system. Yeah. Let's go through and stick with description for, for just a moment longer, because some of these statistics are are pretty compelling, detailed in a really interesting new book by Henry Graber called Paved Paradise, attributable to a Joni Mitchell song, right. I believe. Big yellow taxi. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned before, congestion. Turns out that studies have shown that in, in congested areas, about a third of the congestion is attributable to people looking for parking. So one in three cars moving through a busy downtown area is looking for a parking space. That sort of illustrates the height of the dysfunction here. When you posed this question to me, you know, I think one of the questions you posed was, well, why can I never find a parking spot? Yeah. And, and the reality is, is that you can find a parking spot. You just can't find it when you want to, because you, like everybody else, is looking for parking to do the same right. things at the same time. Right. But, you know, at, at any given time in the country, something like 80% of parking spots are empty. 80% of somewhere between one and two billion spots. Yeah. There's lots of parking available. Yeah. It's just the question of, is it available when and where you want it? Sure. And that's the problem. Yeah. Because parking isn't very fungible, like when it's not being used for parking, it's difficult to turn a parking spot into something else. The vision was back in the 50s, you know, or maybe even before, was to try and create so much ample parking that, you know, you could always find a spot because people were in their cars and you wanted to be able to make sure that they could get where they want, particularly if you were a business. Ultimately, we codified it. Yeah. It's not just that the businesses chose to build the parking. The municipality said, "Thou, if you're building this particular size building for this particular use, thou shalt have this amount of parking. So it is in the code, right? If you are opening a restaurant... The code in various in, in almost any municipality will say this is how many parking spots per whether it's square feet or number of tables or number of your, your your building capacity. But there is a relationship between the size of the business you are opening and the number of parking spots that you have to provide. And it's not just business. Yeah. For the house you have to have parking. Right. This is what the system has wrought, right? You know, this is a knock on consequence of making cars abundant. Yeah. Because obviously parking by itself is not desirable. It is a means to the end. Parking is about getting to where I want to go. If getting where I want to go requires me to have a car, well then parking has to be there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least I expect it to be there. And so, yeah, it all kind of goes together. But, you know, it's not like I'm guessing if we assembled a random sample of Americans and we said, okay, we're starting over. We know there's some big cities going to grow here because of whatever economic reason, and we're going to plan it out. You mean like Las Vegas? We decide we're going to have a city yeah. in the middle of a desert. We're, we're going to start anew. We're going to start anew. I don't think what would come out of any reasonable discussion would be a system that looks like the one that we have embedded, particularly given what we know now. Basically, you're insinuating or stating that if you looked at any urban area, the number of cars occupying the sides of streets, it just seems, you know, if, if we if we were starting from scratch, that would just be an absurd proposition. I just think that if we were designing things from scratch today, we would 
do it differently. And mm -hmm. in part, of, we would do it because we have some technology we didn't have sure. to make more efficient use of whatever spaces we wanted to create. But like, you know, I, mean, I think the reality is, is that if you're just saying, well, yeah, like most of the time, most of the spots are empty. And, you know, frequently, even many of the spots in high demand places are empty. Right. Right. Like on campus, there are reserved spots. And, you know, if you go downtown Missoula, you know, frequently there are parts of lots and, you know, whatever, it's Friday night. But you can tell this is probably a spot for somebody who's there during the day. Sure. And yet it still has a sign saying that you can't park you there. You can't park here. Reserve for some um, law reserve office for or some, a bank yeah, or whatever yeah. that you know is closed. Right. There's just this lack of imagination uh, about how do we share, you know, how do we create, I figure out the right number of spaces. Yeah. How do we price it accordingly? And then let the rest of the system evolve based on the availability of the parking because what will happen is people will go, oh, I don't want to pay to park. I, more people would say, well, okay, can we build more housing near all the things that I want to go to? Sure. I mean, I, like, I lived in, in, you know, not in Boston proper, but in the Boston metro area for seven years. I, I didn't have a car. I walked everywhere. It was great. It was fine. And having like, a car in, in a city like Boston is is onerous. It and, is. And, because, and it's very expensive. You know, in fact, there's a city in Florida which took Shoop to heart okay. kind of early on. Or, you know, even maybe in a predecessor because it was a planned kind of development, a recent town, right? So when it was built, it was built to be walkable. Okay. It was built to be, you don't need a car. You know, most people, you know, I think at some point when people studied this, like, you know, people that lived in that town were getting in their car an average once a day. Okay. Whereas I think an average suburbanite that, that might, it's like seven times a day. Seven right? times a day. You wow. know, yeah. the problem was, is that it's walkable, dense, you know, lots of, you know, shops, all that kind of stuff. It's a beach town as well. But like, it became so desirable that people from everywhere else tried to go there. Oh yeah. Uh, to enjoy the amenities that they sure. had created. And so then they had a parking problem. So then they took Shoop to Heart actually recently and actually reduced parking, but priced it much higher. Pricing works, right? Yeah. You so know? let's 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 draw a pricing. When it comes to pricing, generally speaking, parking in garages is overpriced and parking on the street, curbside parking is underpriced. Is that jive with your read of the data? Well, yeah. I mean, the garage parking, you've got to pay for the infrastructure uh, yeah. of it um, and, you know, the rate of return on whoever paid to build it. Municipal street parking, the insight behind a parking meter was in a city who takes all the, the choice parking spots, the person who gets there earliest. Mm -hmm. And who's that? Well, that's the commuter. So you would have all the spots in front of all the businesses being taken by somebody who's going to park there all day. All day, yeah. Right? And so the in, the inside of the parking meter was exactly this. Well, we should price it, and then the commuter will move further out and will leave the spots that are cycling, you know, for the people that are coming in and out of the things that are going on here. Yeah. And, you know, that will be a better outcome. It sort of works. Problem is, is that in most municipalities, like, parking meters are now almost trivially cheap, so it doesn't really matter. Now, some places then, instead of restricting it by just pricing it, they then, you know, said, well, this meter only allows you to park for two hours or sure. 30 they minutes. Sure, they time cap you know, it. They just time cap it. And again, you know, look, I don't love markets and everything, but I'm totally fine with markets and parking. I would love to see that technology or 
phone technology or whatever it is. Let's just put a sensor on every single parking spot. Yeah. And, you know, we can now have surge pricing. We can, you know, variably price it. Uh, oh, it's the busy time. Like, great. You know, if you want to park here, pay more. People respond to incentives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes you think it's unfair, uh, you know, because people with more money can access it. But this isn't the way to solve the problem to, you know, enough other problems for other people are created by the absurdity of our parking system yeah. in terms of congestion on the road, pollution in the air, whatever the unfairness is and how parking spots are currently allocated, that it just makes a ton of sense to take your reserved parking spot and have you reserve it for times when you want it. Yeah. And then you could release it for times when you knew you weren't going to be there. Right. And, you know, in theory, you could create some sort of sharing arrangement where you got a discount whenever you released it. Sure. You know, look, wouldn't it be great if you could get online when you leave the house and say, hey, where's a parking spot? Right. Because they're all be linked. Yeah. Right. You know, and be like, great, I'm going to reserve that one. In theory, we could also design technology that like, you know, if somebody else parks there that doesn't have your ID signal or whatever it is, that alerts the traffic police that, you know, oh, somebody's parking where they are not supposed to be parking. You know, they haven't paid for this being, you know, automatically ding them. You know, there's just, we have so much ability to make more efficient use of our parking, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the first step, right? Is make it so that it is more efficiently used. And then we can start saying, well, gosh, it turns out that this parking here is just not that useful. But, you know, at the margins, you start basically saying, well, gosh, it turns out that all we really need for this little set of businesses is a parking lot just right over there of this size, you know, because it peaks here. You know, you just figure out the peaks in the valleys as opposed to what we've tried to do, which is mandate parking that is so abundant that it's always available or, or, you know, I mean, look, the only time that it's hard to really park at like a big shopping center is like at Christmas, right? Like, you know, you might have to walk a little ways, sure, but the notion that there's no parking, no, it's almost never, it's almost never the case. Right. And, you know, and the other part of, you know, trying to get away from regulating parking is because it's a means of restricting other things that we like, like housing. We'll be back to my conversation with Bryce Ward after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Hey folks, on August 11th, A New Angle and The Right Question are teaming up for our first live event at the Wilma Theater. Justin and I will be helping the legendary David James Duncan launch his new novel, Sunhouse, a book 16 years in the making. Lauren and I will chat with David. David will read, and renowned singer-songwriter Jeffrey Foucault will illustrate Sunhouse in music. Montana Public Radio presents this evening of story, song, and conversation, August 11th at the Wilmot Theater in Missoula. Get your tickets now at logjampresents.com. I'm Maureen Dowd of the New York Times, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm here with Bryce Ward discussing the effects of parking on our cities. We have a lot of means at our disposal to make the current system 
operate better, right? To create better outcomes for people, to create more fair pricing, et cetera, more efficiencies. But that's within the current system. The current system as it is designed, however, still is designed to provide, it's designed around the expectation of parking. And because we have that expectation, it crowds out other things, housing being one of those things. In many places, it is a requirement that you have a certain number of parking spots per housing unit. Yeah. And as such, it's a way of people restricting who lives in the neighborhood. Yeah. Right? It is a weapon that you can use to file a lawsuit to say, I don't want affordable housing in my neighborhood. I don't want those people to live here. Yeah, so it's it's a it's sort of a weapon that or it's code for a form of class warfare, yeah. if you will. You know, yeah. and it's just it's just a means to make it so that it, housing is scarce mm-hmm. and parking is abundant. And, you know, and then it just then it makes it easier to own a car. It makes it easier than to, you know, build a system that's entirely predicated around driving. You know, and as we talked about the last two months, you know, driving is the source of some, at least a large portion of our excess deaths yeah. in the United States, yeah. right? I think I saw a paper recently on just how good living in a walkable neighborhood is for your health. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, you know, not surprising that when you live someplace that where you walk a lot, you know, you're just getting your exercise without having to basically make it an exercise, right? It's like, well, I have to walk to here and I walk to there and getting those 10,000 steps or whatever it is you're trying to yeah. get to, it just happens, right? Lots of people like space, you know, it's not to say that we want to say nobody can have a car and nobody can live in a low density suburb, right? But to the extent that we have intentionally regulated density uh, out of the world, you know, let people figure out what they want. And if people want to live in densible and dense walkable areas, it should be easier to provide that. I want to kind of ground this a little bit more in the Montana experience. You know, a lot of these studies, a lot of the policies that are that are described often are constructed in, in dense urban environments, Los Angeles, New York. The urban centers in Montana... Uh, are kind of experiencing a form of growth where, you know, my sense is that they're transitioning from a feeling that parking was, you know, available, convenient, and free most when it, whenever it was most commonly needed to, oh, wait, it's now a scarce resource that I have to think about. I have to build in. I have to, you know, I hear people saying, I'm not going to go do that thing because there's no parking available. So there is some sort of a a growth factor in cities like Missoula and other places around Montana that, you know, it sort of transitions into a zone where we have to think more carefully about how we create regulations around parking, but then how we then price it. And, you know, and, and then do we bring in the technology and the other solutions that you proposed before? But like how... how Given that changing so many of the underlying structures and assumptions of how our cities work would be very difficult, how do we, in a place like Missoula or or um, you know or Billings or Bozeman, places that are growing, how do we calibrate our policies better? I mean, I think it's all the same stuff. I, you know, I okay. mean, the, the reality is just look, parking is relatively abundant here. The most annoyed I get is like, oh, it's minus ten. Yeah. And, oh, I have to now walk like two blocks, right? Whereas right now, if, you know, if I'm trying to go pick something up downtown and it's like, oh, I got to walk a block, eh, who cares? 
but you know, I mean, the, look, the reality is, is that you know, even there are points of parking congestion, even in the communities in Montana. Mm-hmm. There are times, of, you know, peak times of day, peak times of the year, peak time be days of the week. You know, that could benefit from more efficient use of space. And to the extent that we're still imposing parking minimums. Now, why do we have parking minimums, right? So part of the reason why we have parking minimums uh, is because of free rider problems, okay. right? Which is, well, I'm a store and I built a bunch of parking thinking that this was going to be the thing that I was going to make sure that my customers had parking. And then all of a sudden, these people that want to go to the place across the street or next door, well, they see my empty parking lot and they choose to park Capture. there. Yep. And then, you know, my customers can't park here and it's a big hassle to enforce whether Mm -hmm. or not you went where and all that kind of stuff you know again that's where technology can be useful right like it can you know if you had a private lot then now you could tie it to your phone coming from your car and into the store um but you know more ideally we would just again say great well how much do you need and how much does the area need and we would be able to kind of adjust the market for it in ways that would make more sense but in an ideal world, we wouldn't need we would no we no longer need to try and solve the free rider problem by mandating everybody provide peak level parking. Yeah, it seems like a crude every, tool to yeah. solve that problem. But wouldn't it be better if we had some means of economizing parking and allocating it in ways that you know allow us to use more of that space for productive things as opposed to parking lots that sent sit empty most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like an area where we either need to go, we either need to more fully embrace a market driven system or create better policy. But this sort of hybrid reality that we have is not so functional. Well, and you know, and a reality that is still largely built around, you know, the policies and the mindset were, they're really from, kind of early days of the automobile yeah it's still very much like oh we want to live in a car driven society isn't that great as opposed to where i think we are now which is that we're trapped in a car dependent society and we like our cars for certain things but this seems trivial but even architecture right american houses are ugly because of the prominence of a garage Hmm. and they are anti-social because they are built to make the garage, because that's what faces the street. Sure. The thing that is most prominent on the street, you know, and, you know, and particularly in places like Montana where, you know, not only are garages prominent, but garages are frequently three car. Yeah. Yeah. If that's what people want, there should be communities for that. Sure. But to the extent that at least some of this is regulatory, right? Well, I have to provide off street parking. You know, that's a requirement. Like, you know, I cannot build the house. I cannot do whatever to yeah, this house. Yeah, that is part of the rules. You got to do it. You and know, it has those consequences. Then, well, it's got to be off street. So it's got to be able to get to the street. And, you know, look, there are elegant solutions and alleys and all that kind of stuff, but they're hard to pull off and mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, right? So what happens? Well, the easiest thing is I just pull right off the street, right into my driveway, and there's my garage or whatever it is. And now it's taking, you know, a big portion of whatever house that I'm dealing with. And that means that now my house has got to be set back. You know, I can't have a big front porch that's just, you know, we're all on our front porches talking to each other, you know, which you see in old neighborhoods, right? You know, I mean, why do people like Europe? 
It's not because they want to go look at stained glass in churches. That's a controversial claim, Bryce. Right? You know, like honestly, when I think about what is it I like about Europe, a lot of times yeah. it's just I like the density, right? I like the fact that there's just this energy and, you know, we're going to go sit in the piazza and, you know, I don't drink coffee, but in theory, drink coffee. You just kind of walk places and, you know, everybody in Europe drives a moped. That's how they get around. Because, you know, they don't have space to, you know, it's a smart car or a moped, you know, you're walking around like old town Lisbon or, you know, the old parts of Rome. You don't see big cars except for in places where they've kind of carved out stuff, right? People drive tiny little cars and they drive mopeds or motorcycles. That was the scarce resource, space. Whereas here in Montana and, you know, most of North America, space was not the scarce resource and we're sort of living with the consequences. That's not to say I think you and I would agree that we don't want Montana to become Europe. However, I think that some of our cities could be more European in their design and maybe have a consequence of preserving more of Montana to be the way a lot of us like it. Yeah, we should. The last thing I want is people not making trips downtown because they can't park, right? Yeah. I, mean, I want you congregating with other humans. I want you in social spaces and spaces where you bump into other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I want you to come downtown. You know, I just, you know, but to do that, we need to figure out how to make efficient use of parking, efficient use of our space. And Focus the attention where it, there there really is scarcity. Try and maximize that efficiency. But for far too long, we've tried to solve parking issues on the supply side. There is room for demand side policy. There is room for things to change how we approach the spaces, to change how we live and how we, re- you know, across space so that, you know, to the extent that people, you know, I'm not saying that we want to ban parking, I'm saying that it should be less of a regulatory choice requirement because we frequently focus just on that, you know, those unpleasant three minutes of searching for a parking spot. We lose sight of the full big picture. You know, we lose sight of the trade-offs that we're dealing with in terms of all the rest of our lives. And, you know, some of them are really hard to quantify. Like just, well, yeah, there's more particulate matter in the air. And what does that do to me? I just think we have to be take a larger, a bigger picture view, except that most people, you know, look, some percentage of people will always hate this, right? You know, so it makes it hard to make changes in this space, you know, like pricing, just literally just putting prices on parking that are like, you know, market prices. People hate it. But my guess is that is this is the kind of thing that people actually would adjust to pretty quickly like the vast majority and so letting the vocal minority and then the rest of us who are kind of squeamish about it you know and that comes from the fact that we just don't appreciate all of the other stuff that's on the other side maybe you would have better access to parking when you wanted it right if we were doing it more efficiently and we were developing principles around game days and soccer tournaments or wherever it is that, you know, you have real parking congestion, you know, we had better systems, both technologically, but also just better incentives. I'm guessing we would be like, gosh, this is what just, this is just better. Right. You know, like, yeah, there's sometimes that it annoys me, but you know, if you kind of say, well, look, if we just aggregated up all the benefits, my guess is that we would end up someplace that, 
is better than where we are now, which is yeah, kind of this ad hoc frustrating system, which is super inefficient. Well, that seems like a good place to park it. Sorry, couldn't avoid that one. But anyway, this this uh, conversation was motivated by a listener question or a listener email. And keep those comments coming. If there's uh, topics that are interesting to you, let us know. You can contact us through our social media f- feed, A New Angle Pod. Reach out, let us know what you're interested in, and we'll try to our best to uh, unpack it. Bryce, thanks as always. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. VTO, Jeff Amet, and John Wicks made our music. Editing by Nick Mott, social media by AJ Williams, and Jeff Neese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.